0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I mentioned a little earlier that once a quarter around the equinoxes and solstices we get together and do our formal recitation of the three refuges, and the five Buddhist precepts. This may be new to some of you. Most of you have heard of these probably before. It's one of the formal re- uh, rituals we do at the center. And it's similar to what people have been doing for a long time in the different places where people were following or practicing the teachings of the Buddha. And like any ritual, it you know it can set up something for us to react against because nobody likes to be told what to do or uh, told this is the way. So it's the most important thing about any ritual is to ground it in our own experience. So it, we're clear why we're doing it. And in terms of the three refuges, it's simply a way, you know when we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, we're simply reflecting on our life and where we have found something of value, something worthy of trust in our life, each of us in our lives, and dividing it you know, in three ways. And this division, I think, is archetypal. I don't think it's specific to Buddhism. The words are specific to Buddhism, of course, but the division makes a lot of sense. So when we look at our lives, as I mentioned at the beginning, all of us, I bet, even those of us people here who've had really difficult upbringing, upbringings with adults that weren't so trustworthy. But most of us, when we look at our lives, we can appreciate, deeply appreciate being around Loving, wise people. At times, you know. I got an email uh, just a couple of days ago from my fifth grade teacher, Bob Sobiak. <laughs> Maybe I'm recording it. Maybe he'll listen to this talk. But anyway, he, uh, he was a really important mentor for me, and uh, just I really loved him a lot. Went back and visited him a few times when I was in high school. Just helped out during breaks. Um, in his classroom and just out of the blue sent an email and that's how I was doing so we've exchanged a couple of emails now but I would consider him sangha you know uh, some for some expression of wisdom and love in my life and we call that sangha but you can call it whatever you want but it's worthwhile to reflect on those beings I include beings because it might your cat or dog maybe it was the wise one at times for you but <laughs> mostly it's human beings that have been wise and loving for us at times in our lives and we want to recognize how valuable that is and i mentioned even in the guided sit we can actually feel how protective it is to be here together like this and one of the things about having a organization and a, a building dedicated to mindfulness and to these wholesome qualities is that we all have our best behavior when we're here. We're all reminding each other about being mindful, about being awake, about being open and connected. And so what manifests here, the, the way that we express ourselves here is often very beautiful. And we feel that. People like to come to common ground or places like common ground because we feel safe and because the beautiful qualities of our own mind and heart get coaxed out and we start noticing that we're more friendly we're more forgiving we're more patient we're more beautiful and it's really nice to be around ourselves when we're like that <laughs> so this is one of the refuges we take refuge in the Sangha. We take refuge in the wisdom and love we see being expressed in other beings. And the lineage of that wisdom, meaning that it's, it's like uh, the negative forces of anger and greed, they're contagious, but also, maybe even in a more resonant way, the beautiful qualities are contagious. When we see somebody... Being deeply generous or deeply patient or deeply forgiving, kind or wise, it inspires something. And it isn't even that, oh, I, it's not like on the surface level where we're going, oh, I should be good because that person's good, although that might happen. But its I think it's more um, base or it's like a sympathetic vibration. We just start being a better person when we're around good people, just like when we're around, you know, people caught in dark places, we tend to bring out our fear, our sense of neediness. You know how it is. I, I read an article uh, around Thanksgiving about, we call it Black Friday, right, the day after Thanksgiving where everybody goes shopping. And about, uh, I didn't realize this until I read the article that some people have been trampled recently in the last couple of years at one of the big uh, stores, I forget which one. Because, and it's this group psychology, of course, you know, where once, you know, we could be walking down the street have no idea that there's a sale going on, but we see a bunch of people, you know, and then we wonder what we're missing. <laughs> and we can get pulled into that. The story that I sometimes tell that I read once about the Dalai Lama giving a series of talks at a big auditorium in LA. And every day he had to take a drive from his hotel to the auditorium. And they went down a road that had a lot of electronic shops. And evidently, the the Dalai Lama likes electronic gadgets. (laughs) And he said, by the end of the talk, I mean, by the end of the week of teachings, that he he had strong desire for objects he didn't even know what they were, <laughs> but he just picked up the buzz from the electronic stores along the way. You know the people and the advertisements in the windows, and and you know how that is. We can we can get pulled in to greed. We can get pulled into fear. We're susceptible to where, you know what's around us. So we take refuge in the Sangha. We take refuge in the Dhamma and the Buddha. There's a a beautiful talk the Buddha gave once where maybe I'll just read it and then say a few things about it. But he was talking uh, early on when he began to teach. He was sharing with some of the monks and the nuns and the lay people um, that what he was teaching wasn't something new. the different ways that he talked about the mind and talked about practice wasn't something that he discovered. And this is how he explained that. He said, suppose a person wandering in the forest wilderness found an ancient path, an ancient trail, traveled by people of old, and he followed it up. And by doing so, he discovered an ancient city, an ancient royal capital where people of old had lived with parks and groves and lakes walled round and beautiful to see. So I too found an ancient path, the ancient trail traveled by wise, loving, old ones, or ones of old. And what was that ancient path, that ancient trail? It was this noble eightfold path. That is to say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Or we often sum up the Eightfold Path as the path of kindness, the path of peace of quieting the mind or calm, and the path of wisdom, seeing things as they are, and seeing the sort of resonant, um, you know, what comes out of seeing things as they are is, is resonant. Devotion to non-attachment, to letting go. So this is the wisdom piece. And this is the path, the, the Buddha's expression of the path that he uncovered. And he says, I followed it up. By doing so, I directly knew aging and death, their origin, their cessation, the way leading to their cessation. I directly knew birth, its origin, its cessation, and the way leading to cessation. I directly knew being. Clinging, craving, feeling, contact. The sixfold fold base, the five physical senses and the thinking mind. I knew name and form, consciousness. I directly knew mental formations, their origins, cessation, and the way leading to their cessation. So the Buddha is basically saying that in following through with this path, he came to understand all the different elements of our existence. That's what birth and death and mental formations and clinging and feeling. He's, he's just naming all the different aspects of existence and that he understood how it comes to be, how it ends, and the way leading to the ending. The ending is the non-attachment or the non-identification with this whole process of being, this process of living, we could say. How to set that free how to set this life free of attachment or clinging. So this is what we mean by Buddha and Dhamma. This simple teaching is another way of the Buddha talking about these other two refuges. So I mentioned Sangha as one of the refuges. Buddha and Dhamma are the other two refuges, and they're often thought of as a pair. It's the Buddha that sees Dhamma or that understands Dhamma. Dhamma often translated as the way it is, or the teachings that point to the way that it is. That things come and go. That this life of ours comes and goes. Our thoughts come and go. Our beautiful thoughts come and go. Our despicable thoughts come and go. Everything about this life comes and goes. Our relationships come and go. Things that we think are meaningful come and go. What we thought were, was meaningful when we were a teenager, its not, then we didn't think it was going to go. I mean, that's the always the thing about things that we think are really important. You might think Buddhism is really important, or common ground is really important, or this or that is really important. But remember how many things we thought were really important, and then it changes. So the Dhamma, the teachings are um, sort of consciously remembering this. This is why the Buddha took the time, and the men and women following in the footsteps of the Buddha take the time to rearticulate the path for us. They're basically saying to us, hey, pay attention. Everything comes and goes. We live in a very ephemeral world. And we work really hard at making it appear to be more substantial than it is. Take a close look. And in taking that close look, we begin to reveal the Buddha. When we get interested in our life in the present moment, I'm not talking about getting interested in our life in terms of getting ahead in our career or uh, making our relationships better. As important as those things are, I'm not saying that's not important, but when we get interested in things as they are here and now, in the present moment, we begin to re, uh, reveal or to uncover what the Buddha means by the Buddha. You know, he called himself, or people called him the Buddha, just means the awakened one. That's what the Buddha means. Bud, the word, the root word, is was just a common word. In fact, a lot of the words that now seem sacred or special in the Buddhist tradition were just ordinary words, like the word for awakening, Nibbana, or in Sanskrit, it's Nirvana. It was just the the ordinary word for a fire going out. Cessation is actually a very good translation of that word. It's the ending of greed, anger, and delusion. But we make it this sort of utopia idea that, you know, Nibbana is some place that we'll get to if we're good So Buddha, this awakeness, as Ajahn Sinedo uses that word, awakenness, To be awake, to be alive in the most ordinary natural sense Which is not common To be awake means that we're seeing Dhamma it's only the Buddha that can see things, see how precious and ephemeral and insubstantial this world is. And it breaks our heart, opening to things as they are, to our life as it is. Not our ideas of our lives, but this present moment expression of this mind and body, of things as they are. It really starts to break our heart Loosen our heart up loosen up all of our fixations when the Buddha knows Dhamma Because it's Like even this moment now we're sitting here together It probably for most of us feels really nice to be here together feel safe But there's something very precious and ephemeral about this gathering and we can't grasp it in any way You know, whatever good or beauty there is being here together, there's no way to sort of turn it into some elixir that we can keep in a bottle with a cork on it and open it up and have it whenever we want. It was some, not really magical, but some amazing confluence of causes and conditions that got us all here together around these ancient. Practical teachings in this wonderful building that we have now And we all know how quickly things can change We have people in this room that could remind us how quickly lives can change people who were You know living their life and all of a sudden their lover or their best friend got in a car accident and died or feeling healthy and all of a sudden discovering they're not healthy or thinking your relationship was good enough and all of a sudden it's not working anymore or had a job, had financial security and now we don't. So common ground is no different. This gathering is no different. This may be the last wholesome gathering in this building. We don't know. And when we start living our life that way, our interactions with other beings become very beautiful. Like, a lot of us have uh, mixed relationship with our families, you know, our parents and our, fam- our sisters and brothers. Many of you are going to see them in the weeks ahead. And uh, But if we understand that, we may not have uh, very many opportunities to resolve anything that's unresolved, we relate differently. You know, if we thought this is the last time, I know some people are going to be moving soon away from Minneapolis, and so maybe this is their last time at Common Ground. Well, that could be true for any of us. So when the mind gets clear and is no longer so confused by our ideas of permanency you know we have this arrogant notion that there's stability that things will be the way that they are but when we drop that and we're more just in the moment seeing things as they are it's as if everything opens up something beautiful opens up the heart breaks in a beautiful way not in a bad way and All of our good behavior comes out. As the Buddha says, you know, all of our good friends, the wholesome qualities of mind, gather around. When we're really present, mindful, all the other good qualities start to gather, like patience and forgiveness and interest and clarity and relaxation. So this is the dynamic of our path of practice, that the Buddha laid out we have sangha we have the wise and loving beings that we sometimes at least bump up against and get inspired by and what do they do they inspire us to be open and to see things as they are whatever leads the way like sometimes we bump up against the way it is and that reveals the Buddha our capacity to be open and sometimes we are open And we connect or we relax into the way it is but we don't you don't get Buddha without Dhamma you don't get that openness without connecting engaging the world as it actually is in the moment and you can't you don't get the world as it actually is the moment as it actually is without the Buddha because it's that the Buddha means the quality of the heart and mind that can be transparent, can be wide open, undefended. And it's a strength. It's not like a feebleness. I'm open because I've forgotten how to defend myself. It actually sets in motion a beautiful kind of responsivity and an ability to respond creatively and powerfully in the moment. So we'll do the Refugees and Precepts now. They're in our chat box. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.